The If Then podcast is brought to you by If Then Ventures, a community of attorneys, regulatory professionals, and all-around builders who help founders and startups make legal strategy a competitive advantage. It should go without saying, but let it be said, absolutely nothing in today's conversation is legal, financial, or any other type of advice. However, the If Then community is great at connecting founders and startups with the right attorney, policy professional, or strategic advisor for their needs. If you're interested in joining or partnering with the If Then community, send me an email at david at ifthen.vc. Okay, that's out of the way. Let's get to the show. Yes! Welcome back to another episode of the If Then podcast, brought to you by If Then Ventures. I am David Ikenna Adams, your host, your guide, your entry into the world of regulatory and product strategy. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show the head DAO architect at Alliance. He's also the managing principal of Lund Ventures. He's had previous stops at the Intermediate Capital Group and at Barclays, and he was even a litigation associate for a hot second at Wilkie Farr. Dane Lund, welcome to the show. Your parents thought you might become an architect, but this probably isn't what they imagined. How's it going? It's great. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I've definitely had a whirlwind career, uh, and I'm very excited to to be pursuing the current venture, uh, building a DAO and helping DAOs decentralize. Absolutely, Dane. I was super curious to get to talk to you because, as a DAO architect, you are now officially my DAO guy. Um, and my, my goal for this podcast is to have you obviously tell us a little bit about yourself, but then walk us through what a DAO is, what are they useful for, how are they formed, and as a, as a person with legal training, walking us through the legal and regulatory issues related to DAOs as we think about how they fit into the future. Um, so maybe we can start and just talk about Dane, who you are. You went to law school, you started as a lawyer, but you pivoted away from that. Talk to us about why you went to law school in the first place and what informed on your subsequent choices. Sure. So, you know, it was in some ways a product of design and in other ways a product of chance that I went to law school. I graduated college in 2009 and I had aspirations of doing, you know, maybe two years um, in, in something interesting and then maybe thinking about law school but uh, the financial crisis kind of forced the issue for me. So um, I went straight in, didn't have a great idea of, you know, what I wanted to do with my career, um, but I knew that that was pretty much the option that was available. And, uh, you know, when I came out, I kind of surfaced, followed the path of least resistance into lawyering, but really kept my eye open on, you know, a lot of the changes that were going on in our economy at the time. Um, and that, that kind of set forth a bunch of questions that I had that led me down the career path that I took. It's really funny talking to people, you know, for this podcast who naturally are coming from my network, but there are so many like myself, uh, and you're probably the third or fourth person that I've talked to that graduated around the time of the financial crisis. Um, and it's really interesting seeing how it really runs a spectrum of what you were doing at the time, what you planned to do, where you graduated from, you know, like-minded people thinking, well, I'm going to retreat to some version of school and, and, and continue to think through things. Um, so emblematic of our generation, I guess. When you graduated from law school, what did you want to do? And like, what did you end up doing? Yeah. So when I was in law school, I, I got really into law and economics, and I saw this kind of um, ability to shape economic outcomes by you know, declaring rules or thinking about rules and making them better. And so there were a few ways that I you know, kind of started to think about my career going. Uh, one was the traditional route. So go into traditional finance, find legal levers for value. But I also got really into what was going on with legal tech. And, and I had a very, very slight notion at the time that I had started practicing law of, of what blockchain was. Mostly uh, a few of my friends and I in law school joked about playing poker uh, with Bitcoin. We never really did, uh, which is unfortunate. But you know, I started to see this kind of 
spectrum of opportunity. And, and I took the first path to begin with. I took traditional finance and used my legal acumen to navigate the financial kind of markets. I think it was a great, a great kind of integration. And that really led me to want to merge those two skills together for the rest of my career. Yeah. So that, that led you into leaving the classic litigation practice and going into finance, using some of your legal skills and, and these rules that you talked about in the world of, of, of finance. There's a legal technology and a blockchain component in there that goes back to the early days of Bitcoin. I'm curious, when did you really start getting into crypto for real, you know, beyond just talk and, you know, talk in your poker game? Yeah, so the 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 point at which I really got into it was um, kind of the tail end of 2016. Um, I remember going to a wedding where uh, you know a good friend of mine from law school mentioned this thing called Ethereum that was uh, very new, and we we spoke a bit more about Bitcoin. And what was really interesting is he explained early on what the differences uh, of those two protocols would be, and. It really resonated with me. You know, I, I didn't really know what to make of it, but the novelty, um, particularly being a child of you know the the early internet age, uh, struck me as something that was going to stick. And so I got pretty interested. I read as much as I could. I you know I was trying to find a book on it. There's you know, still aren't really books on it, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I picked up bits and pieces. I started to buy some Ethereum, play around with it, did what I thought was well. But turned out, you know, four extra money with Ethereum is not is not the prize. So that, that's when I really started to get interested. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny about books in the crypto space on Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever. Uh, books in, in in this space are definitely easily outdated. You know, when I was trying to learn more uh, deeply about crypto, I got several books, and probably the best one I read. Even then, I could tell it was somewhat outdated, even <laughs> back then. And I bet it would be hilariously outdated um, going back to it now. Um, though, I guess I will give, give a plug for a book that just came out, uh, especially since we're about to talk about DAOs. Laura Shin just released a book. It's called The Cryptopians, and it has some long subtitle after the colon. But uh, it's uh, it has a significant discussion of the DAO hack, which is this seminal moment in ethereum back in 2016-17 and if you are shout out laura shin um okay so when did DAOs first catch your attention so i started to learn about DAOs right about the time i learned about ethereum and at the time i was in serious discussions with a friend of, of mine where, where we were thinking about leaving our you know traditional paths he was he was in web two at the time. We didn't call it that, but he was in, in tech and I was in, I was in kind of private lending. And, you know, we, we thought about all the possibilities of smart contracts and we chanced upon DAOs and, and we, we thought about how it might integrate with legal technology in particular. Maybe it was the queue of like smart contract, which in, it was kind of a misnomer when you think about the legal world, but I, I looked back at the first time I'd seen Dow and saw that in about 2017, uh, he and I had taken notes on, you know, on ideas that involved DAOs and tokenized voting. I feel like I was almost smarter then than I am now because I can't really remember all of the ideas. But that's really when the concept <laughs> uh, trickled into my head. Okay, so before we get into Dow 101, which I would like to do in a second, um, let me ask you. After a decade-long career, around the same time as I did, you took a full plunge into Web3, as we now call it, but like you, you dove into working in crypto. What was your process for getting a job in crypto and getting into the industry? It's a great question. And, and effectively, what happened to me is I realized this imperative. Um, you know, right, right about the time of the pandemic, I think everyone had... Uh, a moment to step back and think, you know, what, what am I really going to do? At the time, I was building a business that was focused on, you know, a few specific parts of law and finance, mostly like litigation finance, which, which is a pretty interesting discipline. But I wanted to go deeper and I wanted to find something that was more at the, the horizon of where that integration is going to go. 
And, you know, fortunately at the time, you know, I caught on through a few other friends who were pointing out what was going on with NFTs. Um, it's kind of like the resurgence of crypto. And, and that's when I started to read a bunch of white papers. I started to um, engage with, you know, friends on Discord. That, that's, that's really where it started is like, you know, we got a great group together to start talking about ideas. I realized I needed to learn a little bit about how to code. So I did a boot camp. Not applicable to what I do at all, but it was inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess I, I could build you a you know Ruby on Rails website, but what are you going to do with that? But but you know, I, I learned a little bit of solidity, and and that's when I really started to catch fire. I had started to talk to as many people as I could, um, and and you know, I talked to them about just regular way, you know, Web two fintech, but. Through that process, um, I met a few attorneys who started to focus on blockchain, and I got into the advocacy side. So we were thinking about statutes that could apply in different states, and Wyoming had uh, recognized the DAO LLC. So what really got me into this is I wanted Illinois, still want Illinois, to do the same thing. That's where I really started to catch fire um, in the DAO universe. Got it. I definitely want to dig into all of those issues within DAOs, the advocacy, how they're structured, the laws in Wyoming around how they relate to LLCs and other forms of quote unquote legal rappers as they call them. But let's let's take a step back and talk about what is a DAO? <laughs> what is a DAO and why is it a thing? I think it's a really good question. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give you a definition of what I'd say is every time somebody says it, I always like have a have a something to to say that's different. But at the very basic level, tokens enable a voting right. A token holder is able to vote on something. And a DAO is a is a collective of token holders connected by smart contracts that are able to uh, determine the fate of the organization via voting. That's that, you know, I'd say the other way of thinking about it is Vitalik's definition, which is, you know, a DAO is code in the middle and humans at the edges. Okay. So a DAO is this form of organization, this form of a collection of people. And probably the most readily available analogy is a, a corporation, a collective, a co-op some form of organizing that individuals do to do something. And what you're saying is that part of these decentralized autonomous organizations is that there's tokens associated with the DAO that might accrue voting rights, not unlike the shares in a company have some form of voting rights. And those shares help determine the actions that a DAO might take. Is that right? I think that's right. What what I'd point out to distinguish from corporations is, you know, you see transparency, and you can make it as granular as you want. So you could vote uh, on on literally like anything. Uh, whereas with a corporation, there's this pre baked structure. Um, it's kind of controlled by the state, and proposals only come every so often through kind of prefabricated processes that are that are fairly difficult to understand quite frankly DAOs DAOs are more transparent in that way right and DAOs are transparent for probably a number of reasons that's kind of the the autonomous part really follows the inherent transparency of a public blockchain itself and there's something that you mentioned when you were describing that which is smart contracts the self-executing pieces of code that determine actions you know this is the if then podcast and so then if something is true then something else happens a smart contract self-executes without any sort of intermediary needing to step in and that relates to the autonomous part of the decentralized autonomous organization certain aspects of it being governed by smart contracts though i would argue that this is a controversial point whether you know some of these DAOs are actually autonomous um, or even whether they're decentralized um, I think they're probably some version of an organization but even that could be debated um, 
but we have some general idea of what they are. What are they for? So they are for a few different things. And, and, and what I'd say is they, they could be for anything, um, but, but what are they good for? Uh, they're, they're good in circumstances where you want to bring together a lot of people um, who, who may not know each other kind of in, a, in our world of you know, Zoom. You can bring people together all across the world um, for a common purpose. Oftentimes, it's to manage a protocol. So, you know, I think a lot of the most developed uh, DAOs are in the DeFi space where uh, there, there are people who hold tokens who have an interest in the success of the protocol. And in order to better it, in order to adapt it to the circumstances that, that you know, are at present or in the future, um, they're able to vote to, to change the protocol. But we're seeing DAOs you know, create new spaces. So there are social DAOs. They're, they're effectively you know, clubs of Web3. There are DAOs that have a specific kind of asset purchase uh, mission. So an example of that's like Krauss House. They're trying to buy a basketball team or Lynx DAO where they're trying to buy a golf course. So there's got to be a collective mission. It's you, if, if, it's, if it's a good DAO, it's well stated. And the chain is, is a mechanism for voting on the outcomes. Generally, there's capital involved. So it's also how to allocate that capital. Got it. So we want to do something in Web3 or even do something in the world and leverage some of the advantage of Web3 to do so. For some of these things, it's that we are organizing across the internet in a decentralized fashion. We're using voting to take actions. There's some capital involved, and the nature of the blockchain allows us to input that capital in a way that can be spent or determined by smart contracts or the rules set out at the formation of the DAO. Um, and that might end up pointing us towards some common goal or mission whether it's a specific purchase like buy an NBA team or whether it's a social like ongoing thing, like we all have something in common. We're all the owners of a specific NFT project or we want to do things or help accrue value to the owners of that NFT. Or like you said, probably the most established thing, um, run a protocol uh, uh, that does something in Web3. You think we got it? <laughs> I think I think so. You know, there there are charts that that are kind of going all over Twitter where they classify the world of DAOs, and and every time I look at it, there's a new type of DAO. I think you you pointed out, you know, the NFT DAOs, which which are emerging, which are quite interesting, where you know the holders of NFTs can can kind of vote on the fate of that NFT project. I think we're going to see a lot more applications. So so this is a this is a part of the universe, but certainly not um, an exhaustive piece of the universe. Got it. Okay. So when you, you mentioned that when you were first exploring DAOs, you had started having conversations around some of the legal aspects and the issues particular to DAOs and how they work. Can you walk us through what are the relevant issues today related to DAOs and how they function? Yeah, I think I think... Uh, there, there are two really big issues and a lot of sub-issues that, that pop up under them. The first is, you know, how does the, the legal realm, how does, you know, how do traditional states view DAOs? And then the other is, how do DAOs present themselves to other actors in the commercial world? So the first is, what do we what do we classify this group as if, if there's ever a need to recognize them or do something with respect to them in the legal world? The kind of first thesis is that it's a, a general partnership without any other name. So each person is kind of uh, bears the liability of the whole. It's 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 as if you know a few people get together and have a common commercial mission um, in in the traditional legal world. The the other part of it is. How do you interact with a DAO? It's a it's it's this on-chain 
um, organism effectively. And if, if you're a service provider and, and, and all of a sudden a DAO wants you to do something in the real world, like you can't just contract with a series of smart contracts in the same way that you could with a, you know, a business um, in the delivery of services. So those are the two biggest clusters of problems. And uh, you know, we can, we can bear down into any, any or all of them um, <laughs> if you want to. Yeah. Uh, my, my only hope is that we're able to lay out a coherent, straightforward description here. Sure. Um, you mentioned Wyoming. This is something that I recall, you know, Wyoming came out and said, we're going to recognize DAOs as LLCs. My surface level reading of that is, okay, limited liability. There's concepts of that for companies. You can have limited liability companies. You can have limited partnerships. And that means that if something goes wrong, the place goes bankrupt or someone sues you, people can go after the assets of the business, but your liability is limited, so they can't go after you as an individual within the business, a member of the business, person who runs a business, etc. And that's where the limited liability comes in. So are DAOs able to get that coverage? Is that what the Wyoming law was for? Uh, is this specifically designed for that? Is that the only mechanism for that? Is it an effective mechanism? So I, I think that's what the thrust of the kind of real world recognition of DAOs through an entity is, is, you know, in order, if we just go back to like, you know, why we have corporate law, in order for people to take risk in, in economic endeavors, um, limited liability is ta table stakes. Uh, people are going to, you know, be far less um, innovative and take a lot less risk if, if they are going to be liable for every action that you know, the people they group together with, um, you know, foment. So that's, that's a really important part of it. And if we think about, you know, these... Well, what are effectively legal wrappers, right? Um, it's it's a way of bringing the DAO into the real legal world. I think the LLC is a is a decent step. We've seen an evolution with the DAO LLC because there are, there are some issues. Um, you know, the the state creates a cookie cutter form of how a an entity should should interact, and and then. Case law is developed around it, and and there are all these presumptions and regulations are are kind of also created. One of the issues with the Wyoming DAO um, is you know there's there's a formalized concept of membership in DAOs, and it's it's a fairly slow moving concept. Like in a traditional LLC, if you and I were members and we wanted to bring somebody else in, they'd have to sign an agreement. It would take a while, and uh, with a DAO. Somebody may be a member by buying a token and three seconds later selling it, they're not a member anymore. So that's something that Wyoming's grappling with. They're actually undergoing a round of amendments right now. And I, th I think they're getting closer to you know, emulating what a DAO is. But there's still this aspect, this disconnect between the fluidity of a DAO and the rigidity of a state-recognized uh, form. So... We can talk about if, if you want. Um, we can talk about other types of legal wrappers, but I think I think the progress is being made, but it's still a crude approximation of you know a legal wrapper. Yeah, right now. you know, this is an interesting proxy, I would say, for broader issues in crypto. I think a lot of people would point to SEC regulations most specifically, but it sounds like Wyoming has made an attempt to take the existing laws and apply them to DAOs in a way that is intended to be useful and apply them to DAOs uh, uh, to provide a service to them. You know, Wyoming really wants to attract crypto businesses. Uh, they want to, they specifically want to be the Delaware of crypto. You've got crypto banks. You've got, you've got AMC's Yellowstone starring Kevin Costner. You've got Kanye West's ranch retreat and then you've got crypto haven that's those those are those are my wyoming vibes right now but it sounds like we haven't gotten to the point where crypto advocates would like to take it which is that we're crafting new brand new laws and regs that go to first principles of what we're trying to achieve and creating a new law for those new use cases and technologies. It seems like DAOs 
are, are like this testing ground for that sort of thing. Um, and we haven't really gotten there in DeFi and other places. Um, you mentioned some other types of legal wrappers for yeah. DAOs. What are some other ways that we can accomplish some of these same goals that's positive for DAOs? Sure. So, so I'll give you kind of a smattering or the alphabet soup of some of the organizations that that are um, that are being used for DAOs. So, there is the concept of an investment club. It's a ninety-nine or fewer person LLC, typically in Delaware. Uh, Syndicate has leveraged that to allow people to kind of group together and invest for common purposes, and and so has you know, the Lao and Flamingo DAO. So that's a that's a kind of tried and true form at this point, but it, it is limited in scope. Um, and then some other states like Colorado uh, has a cooperative law that's being explored. Um, it functions kind of like you know if you think of a DAO as a flat organization, I would argue it does not necessarily a flat organization, but that statute is being explored as a as a legal wrapper. Um, and Vermont also has has had a you know conducive kind of LLC statute. But if we think broader. There's a lot of creativity that's going on internationally. So just a few weeks ago, the Marshall Islands actually um, announced that they're going to recognize DAOs as a legal structure. So you know, what that practically means is still subject to determination, but they're basically saying, bring us your DAO. That's that's legally cognizable. I think I think there's still going to have to be some um, you know, work around that. And then people are looking at things like you know, trust companies. Um, which which can be more or less kind of hollow vehicles where the trustee is given instructions um, via the DAO for what to do. We saw that with um, you know Terra. They created a deal with the Washington Nationals. They created a trust in Guernsey, um, little known jurisdiction, um, but but you know they they decided that the flexibility worked. And then you have foundation companies. Uh, they're they're not. Uh, structure that's recognized in the United States, but you see them in you know, the Cayman Islands, you see them um, you know, in, in Switzerland and in, in Liechtenstein um, and even Panama. And those companies are also very, very flexible, just like DAOs. And, and a lot of the DAOs that are using them are, are realizing that you can effectively issue instructions to a small number of directors um, and, and, and effectively operate it as a it's almost like a legal instantiation rather than a wrapper. Um, the DAO says do X, and as long as it complies with the laws, the directors do X. Um, it also provides a legally sound um, organization for people to you know, sign contracts with. So that's kind of what the landscape looks like. We're still early days to know which ones are the best. Okay, so there's a lot of ways that we're trying to, at the core, do a couple things, you know, first direct the purpose of the DAO, allow the DAO to interact with the normal world. So you can do these deals and have the the Washington Nationals do the the Terra super special club level, you know, uh, luxury box. And also on the other side, actually protect the people within the DAO so that like you, Dane, or, you know, Discord version of Dane, Deluxe 43, uh, in the DAO is not held liable for something that, you know, DIA 420 does within the DAO. Um, this this might be a, a pre-existing structure. It might not be. There are still things being figured out. It also sounds like there are practical issues that might just come along um, outside of the legal scoping. So how do you run a DAO? How do you make sure it fulfills its purpose efficiently how do you make it run well like especially if it has a flat structure or even if it has a not so flat structure yeah so that's that's a fascinating area and, and like it gets into what's going on with governance and, and i think that's a fast-paced and innovative space so the early commentary on DAOs is they're flat and and we're seeing that's just not accurate so there are collectives um but even within those collectives, there are people with you know elevated voices. And if you were to look at the Discord of some of these collectives, there's a pretty big skew um, of you know toward some people who participate a ton, um, and they're effectively like 90, 95 percent of the like comment value of the the Discord or the DAO. Um, and then there's a kind of a long tail of people who 
you know, provide small comments or just lurking um, in the DAO. But you, you see some more formalized ways of creating kind of credibility weighting or hierarchies. So one way is reputation. Um, there are, there are you know, DAOs that are created on a DAO stack or through Colony, for instance, have this embedded concept of you know, certain types of participation give you greater reputation and therefore you could have more voting weight or more right to certain types of assets within the DAO. That, that's, a, that's effectively an organic hierarchy. Um, and then there are more formalized ones. So if you look at like Yearn, um, they came out with their governance 2.0. And if you were to look at the org structure there, um, there's a lot of delegation to um, you know, work streams or councils, whatever you want to call them, sometimes called sub DAOs. And, and those, are, those are effectively spheres of discretion um, that are created by you know, the, alloc the allocation of power from the DAO. Um, and, and they're anything but uh, flat in, in their structure. Um, they, they just happen to create a periodic um, relationship between individuals who are working for the benefit of the DAO uh, and the DAO that votes to um, place those individuals in those spaces. So I've seen a lot of 2022 is the year of the DAO. I've, I've seen this take several times. And if we had DeFi summer in 2020, and that was kind of like the main crypto vibe, then we had 2021, NFTs took over the world and became the number one topic of conversation in crypto. And honestly, I don't really think they're going to relinquish the throne, uh, but we need something new to talk about. So is 2022 the year of the Dow and why? Yeah, I think this is definitely the year of the Dow. And, and, and there are a few reasons why. One is there's just a profusion of the creation of DAOs. Um, you know, we uh, at Alliance, we, we have a, a cohort company that we're very proud of, SuperDAO. They're a platform um, that's thinking very in a very sophisticated way about you know, launching DAOs. Um, and, and they're getting a ton of interest from people who are trying to launch novel structures. Um, almost daily, I get people to reach out um, with new DAO ideas. And there's this profusion of creativity about how we can start to govern um, using tokenized voting. So we're already seeing a huge spike in the number of DAOs. And we're also seeing um, this, this just like generative energy to learn how to structure um, you know, vehicles that haven't existed before. So you know, I, I think that 2020 is, is the explosion of DAOs, whether or not they all succeed, like their experiments, some of them might be incredibly valuable and some of them might not even last through the year. Um, but, but this is definitely a strong year of experimentation in DAOs. Yeah, definitely. We had late last year Constitution DAO, definitely my favorite DAO. Um, and, you know, I still am holding my plummeted people tokens, but that DAO was a DAO to buy a copy of the Constitution in an auction, and it raised, I think, 20 million, 40 million, I don't remember, um, I think 40 million. And they ended up not winning the auction because Ken Griffin of Citadel actually bought the Constitution, and people got the money returned, but it was, it was a super interesting story of coordination, and it broke records from a crowdfunding perspective, but I think then we've already seen that broken. I think Assange Dow uh, raised a bunch of money for Julian Assange's legal bills. We had some other less successful Dows. You know, there's Kraus House on their uh, ill-fated uh, uh, a quest to buy an NBA team. You had Lynx Dow uh, to buy a golf course, which you know I wouldn't say is is my vibe, but uh, there's a uh, there's Fry's Dow, which is trying to buy a, a fast food franchise. Um, so, you know, what's your, what's your favorite Dow? One-time use Dow or ongoing or whatever? Yeah, so I'll give you I'll give you my favorite meme Dow, and then I'll give you kind of my favorite kind of structural Dow. So um, there, there's a Dow called Pizza Dow, um, and they're they're trying to bring pizza to to the world and, and also to acquire you know pizza shops. Um, they featured in East, East Denver and gave people a bunch of free pizza. 
Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of, of that mission. Uh, it's definitely Mimi and who, who knows if like, you know, we, we need more pizza, but I certainly like it. Um, so, so I can always have it. more pizza. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, there are so many, there are like single purpose DAOs, a ton of energy. Um, then when we think about, you know, more structurally, um, there's, there are a few that I am very interested in. So, um, there's index coop, which, which has pioneered work streams. I think they think a lot about how to, to both maintain decentralization, um, but also have, uh, zones of hierarchy, uh, that, that also kind of goes with what's, what balancer is doing. Um, they've created a sub DAO system that I think is very interesting for managing, you know, a DeFi protocol. And then I mentioned Yearn. I think that they are also breaking a lot of ground um, in, in, in structuring um, long-term uh, organizations that don't require any one individual to sit in a certain place. So that's how I kind of see the universe. But But I definitely want more pizza in my life. Yeah, you know, memes are obviously very powerful in the world of crypto. And there's this perfect intersection of the world where you can combine memes with something real and useful, and that's where crypto really sings. There's there's, there's two things I want to kind of point out. Uh, one is another, another not quite meme DAO. It's really a, a social DAO, pleaser DAO, which is organized around, or at least originally organized around the art of the artist people pleaser. But the most famous thing that they did was buy the the one copy only Wu-Tang album that was originally purchased by Pharma Bro villain Martin Shkreli and then later seized by the FBI when he was arrested and, and thrown in jail. And they bought it, and I think at like, uh, you know, some conference they had listening parties, and you know, this is a, a single use album that has no other copies, you can only listen to it in person. Um, and it's you know, it's almost like a real world NFT, like, uh, uh, very interesting and cool, like, use there. Something else that is kind of interesting, um, kind of from the more corporate side, which is there's a uh, an, an early Bitcoin exchange by the name of Shapeshift, uh, which you can use to uh, uh, trade Bitcoin, um, especially in the earlier days of crypto. Um, and one thing that they did recently was um, decentralized over time and, and dissolved the corporation and became a DAO formed with the explicit purpose to run the shapeshift um, uh, exchange and protocol. And you can see how uh, you can see how the structure can lend itself to different forms of organization, whether that's a club, um, a, a new type of corporation, a loose organization of people. Um, there are different ways that these things can uh, manifest themselves in uh, uh, whether it's business or vibes. Yeah, so I, I think that uh, I'll, I'll go in reverse. So um, I have a lot of respect for what Shapeshift's doing. I think, you know, Eric, uh, their CEO, and John, their COO, are thinking about decentralization in a sophisticated way. Definitely, you know, spoken to John about their plan. And I think that I think that they are, you know, leading the charge on decentralization. Um, and, and they're doing it with a very meaningful platform. So for them to succeed in what they're doing, I think spells success for the DAO community. And then when we think about, you know, people pleaser and some of the, the social DAOs, I think it's extraordinary. So if, two things, one is people are able to come together and um, identify with assets or, or, or start to participate in assets that wouldn't have been available to them um, in, in another form, you know, I, I never would dream of being able to like buy something um, like, you know, Wu -Tang, like a valuable Wu-Tang, um, you know, album, but with a collective that's very passionate about it, like, you know, you can, you can partake in that. And yeah, maybe you can hear the music elsewhere, but it, it, there is this kind of community that forms around the appreciation of, of you know, fine things, whatever those are. Um, I, I think that 
another point is it, it unlocks this energy that I think we saw that with the kind of the Reddit um, phenomenon in the market mm-hmm. last year. Like there's this, this deep energy to engage economically that, that I, I think a lot of people in our generation and maybe, you know, Gen Z too, we haven't been able to express it. We've been kind of like, you know, low beat because incumbents have like kind of dominated the, the economy for so long. Like we're finding our voice, we're finding our energy and, and DAOs are a way for us to hone that energy and express it and individualize ourselves. So I, I think, you know, social DAOs are a great way to focus that energy. So it's not just a supercharged, like short squeeze um, on GameStop. Like there's actually some meaning that, that is being distributed in those DAOs. I have a I have a question to follow that. One thing that exists in the world of crypto and in DAOs, you know, people work for DAOs or people do work for DAOs and DAOs spend money on things and sometimes that's for software development. Either for a protocol the DAO is running or, you know, something along those lines. And we talked about Shapeshift turning their business into a DAO and People, former Shapeshift employees, will do work for that protocol, doing product development and product maintenance. And the way that these structures work are necessarily completely different than a business or a job or a nine to five that you go into every day. It, it's it's much more freelance oriented. It's almost this merging or advancement of the gig economy. Um, do you see the structures of being able to be someone who is online and like sees a bounty in a discord and that says, I need someone to do this. And like, you take it and that's how you work and that's how you make money. And the DAO enables that. I mean, do you see us some sect of people moving forward in that direction? I definitely do. Um, What I'd say is it it can be a great thing. Um, It it allows people to kind of craft uh, whatever type of life they'd like um, and partake, particularly like, you know, spectrum of highly skilled to not like there, there is a way to, you know, participate either part-time full-time um, and also either creatively or in a very discreet way. That's great. I'm not a utopian here. I, I think that, you know, the gig economy has its issues. I think there's a lot of money in crypto right now, so it can mask it, but you know, it, it's, it's certainly, there's got to be this equilibrium where if talented people are going to continue to work in DAOs, there needs to be stability for them, or at least, you know, enough work so that they can, can create the flexible life they want. But uh, I, I, I think there's going to be this constant push to um, better the gig economy. And I, I think it's going to face its challenges. So very cool. I think it will have a great use, but I think it will also um, need work along the way. Well said. I think all of these things <laughs> will need work along the way from the legal structures to the practical governance to the the human coordination aspects and the the work aspects of, of gig and freelance that we just talked about. I think that's what makes it so interesting and what makes it so expansive of a conversation and with, with so many branches and ways that we can go. We're just talking about DAOs and there's so many different angles and branches and, and things that we need to hammer out. I would encourage anyone who is interested in DAOs, you know, hop in some discards, uh, you know, check it out. Uh, uh, I mean, that's what I do. You know, it, it's interesting, the concept of being in a DAO, like I'm, I'm in several discords, but like I'm, I'm probably actually not in any DAOs, but like <laughs> I, I attempt to follow the discords, but that's a, a whole other problem and issue um uh attempting to follow discords is truly one of the most chaotic things in my in my current existence and i'm 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 a guy who's in like 12 slack channels but for whatever reason i can uh follow that much more easily you can definitely get web3 vertigo um just just jumping into discord cold so uh you know small steps in absolutely absolutely so let's talk about alliance the DeFi alliance Alliance DAO, it's Alliance. What is Alliance and what do you do there? Sure. So um, Alliance is right now, it's, it's a premier accelerator in Web3. 
Um, it got its beginnings in Chicago. It was the Chicago DeFi Alliance. Started kind of with some of the, the best protocols in DeFi. Um, we've then expanded to the DeFi Alliance, started to bring in Web3 games um, as well. And, and now we're full Web3. And as part of that, uh, you know, we have decided to decentralize. And, and, and I'd say that I got in touch with uh, the DeFi Alliance right at the time they were making that decision and brought all my energy about DAOs. Um, and, and, you know, we found a place for me to be the, the DAO architect. So I think about DAOs all day. And specifically, I think about how we can construct a DAO for our community, um, which includes our founders, which are, which are our focus, um, our supporters, you know, and, and, and then our core contributors. How can we tie them all together in an incentive system that, that is a compounding source of value? Um, one, one of the things that I think you always want when you're running an accelerator is you want your alumni both to excel uh, beyond their wildest dreams, but then to, to bring back their talent and to reinvest. And, and I think that there's, there's loyalty that's built going through any accelerator, but we, we want to you know, help people see how it works to the mutual benefit uh, for them, as well as for the community that they come back and actually um, spend time with our founders and, and, and also help build out the services around their ecosystem. So, so we are really a founder first um, decentralizing um, DAO and, and it's very exciting. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you guys got some great organizations come through your accelerator and uh, some great founders, builders, all of those things. So what does Dane Lund do as the DAO architect? Sure, so you know, I think a lot about how we're going to design our governance system. Uh, it, it's it's always a bespoke task. You want to think about what your what your community is and how you're going to get them to align with your vision. So some of this is coming up with what your you know work streams are going to look like. Um, some of it's thinking about how much of your structure is going to be pre baked when you you know bring everyone into the tokenized voting system versus. Uh, how, how much is going to be left to proposal day one. Um, there's, a, there's a balance between curating and liberating um, on the governance side. There's also a thinking of, you know, the tooling space is very um, nascent. So thinking about what tools exist that will really help us move in the direction we want to, um, but also building in flexibility, right? You can, you can identify tools right now that would become, you know, effectively embedded for the life of a DAO. That might not be the best thing for your DAO because, you know, for instance, a governance platform, the rules may change, the game may change, um, the idea of governance may change. You may, want, you may want in your second phase to have a new platform. And so there's, there's this constant uh, desire and, and need to both have a discrete platform and flexibility to continue building into the future. Um, I also spend my time, you know, uh, speaking to, to many attorneys about how to, you know, make our, our DAO, you know, fit into the conventional world. Um, it's very important. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a lot of kind of, I almost call it a, a legal university, um, a collection or constellation of legal thinkers. How do we, okay, uh. If I want to put together a new DAO, I have this harebrained scheme to make a new DAO for the local casual carpool community. Um, casual carpool is this way that I used to get into San Francisco from the East Bay. There's this pre-designated street corner. You can go stand on it, and there will likely be other people standing there. And, and, and cars, regular people commuting into the city, will either be waiting there for you, um, or they'll arrive and kind of fill their car up with people, and you'll all drive in across the bridge together. Um, similarly, if, if you're driving into the city in the morning for a commute, you can swing by this corner and fill up the car um, uh, before you all head in together. This is a mutually beneficial situation as, you know, this gives you access to the carpool lane or HOV lane, and you get in the city, like, significantly faster. 
Uh, it's also like a much more comfortable ride if you're a, a, a passenger, by the way. Now, there's no app. There's no website. Um, you know, this is just like this social consensus that exists. If I go to this corner, there's a car that will be there and we can ride in together. To me, that's like this social consensus that exists outside of the concept of a DAO. Go here at a certain time and there's like a market. There's a there's a supply and a demand for the carpool. Now, in the pandemic, like this thing died. Casual carpool, like it, it, it poof, goes away. People weren't like getting into cars with strangers anymore. How might we bootstrap a DAO to like reachieve this social consensus. Um, what are the things we need to think about if we were architecting like this new utopian carpool DAO? Yeah, so I actually think you identified a great example of something you could really build DAO around. Um, the first thing I'd say is usually a DAO is a good fit where there's otherwise an uncomfortable um, set of incentives or interests. So in the carpool example, there's always the question of like, okay, whose turn is it? Like, oh, but I have a crisis, so can it be your turn again uh, and again and again and again? And it's like, okay, well, you don't really have rules constructed to navigate those relationships up front. But if you if you think about it and you create a governance system and you have rules for navigating that, maybe maybe you know more tokens accrue to you over time if you have consecutive drives. Um, it, it's a way of giving a name to those uncomfortable incentives and making people like accept what they're getting into. Um, but you also raise the issue of community. And what's what's cool about DAOs is you can you could you know describe membership in a way that you know I think you have to be you know you have to be inclusive enough um, that that you know pretty much anyone can join but with certain standards like you could have a membership committee that like Uber does a background check to make sure that like you're you know, you're, you're not going to harm anyone and that you're, you're actually capable of driving, for instance. You could get an NFT that says, okay, like I passed that test. I am now a driver in this carpool. And, and what, what's also really interesting is you're making this a more direct relationship. So no longer is like Uber up there, you know, taking a large, you know, toll on directing the traffic and the drivers. Like, the chain can do that itself. You can give it its own power. And the value, if there's any spread that's taken, um, accrues back to the community. It doesn't go to an administrator. It doesn't go to somebody who had the idea first. Like it's there in the pool. And, and you can do things like navigate your you know, uncomfortable uh, incentives by sharing rewards in that pool. So I think, it's a, I th I think you should probably create that idea. Honestly, um, I, I see no reason why it shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, and you you really nailed something that I didn't mention because there's two other aspects of the casual carpool. There's there's a toll to cross the bridge. Uh, you know, the toll is like seven dollars, and uh, the people who get in the car pay the driver a dollar when you get in. But in the last couple of years, the toll the toll went up a couple times, and I remember there were a couple of points where someone tried to say like, "Hey, I'm I'm paying more for this toll now. the The price of the rider should go up, and you know maybe it should be two dollars now or one fifty. Um, but because there's no central means of communication here, that but that person could never get the the traction of getting everyone to agree that it's now $2 or something, you know, like right. to get in the car. And if you actually add tokens, and this is where crypto can be quite helpful as a means of driving incentives, you can use and pay with the carpool token to use carpool DAO. And I think this is kind of where you as a DAO architect and the conversations uh, with the lawyers come in, like, can you find a way for me to pay fast track, pay the bridge toll with the tokens? That's how I feel like you can complete the loop. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, I, I've never done yeah, yeah, yeah. tokenomics before, but yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah. I, I think this is where you and I should talk more because you know you you know on ramps, um, you 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 understand how to convert, 
um, you know, from fiat to to you know crypto in an efficient way. But you know, you, you could envision um, a pass being a form of oracle. Oracles are tough because you have to you have to find a layer of trust in your oracle. But you know, let's say your pass transmits information about how much is spent. You can define a period of time over which you aggregate that data and then you know pay people out in tokens for the expense that they've taken on. And that could be automated, right? You just have to trust your oracle. You have to make sure somebody's not gamifying it um, or, or coming up with a way around it. And you, you could probably have checks for that um, and, and some governance controls. It's not gonna be perfect, but it's gonna be a lot better than, than uh, not having it. And, and so I would say, just, just without thinking about it deeply, you use it as an oracle, you have periodic um, true ups and, you know, you have to have faith in, in the value of the token too. Uh, but that could also be compensated by the fact that, you know, people could pay a membership due in stablecoin um, that, that goes to the pool that pays out. And it kind of guarantees that you know, if, if your, you know, native token, for instance, uh, plunges, at least there's, you know, enough to cover the tolls and keep the community going. Yeah, I, I, I feel like what I, what I need to do is work with the, fast track program in the Bay Bridge and find a way to give everyone who crosses the bridge a wallet or at least like a wallet address and I can airdrop everyone tokens and find a way to be able to pay the bridge toll with those tokens using a, a pool or a treasury. And once we do that, we can get the, the flywheel of Carpool DAO going. And we have a use case for the DAO because it's simply there to coordinate the people crossing the bridge now this will probably never be used because we're all working remote and <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to be riding with the uh, random strangers in the car uh but uh yeah i, th I think we just uh, created a doubt um anyone is free to take these ideas and run with them and make carpool DAO a reality i just want uh credit to the if then podcast for brainstorming <laughs> and uh, incubating this very half-baked idea. I, I hope they do it. Um, you know, one, one thing I'd say is that you also identified something that's really cool about Web3 is you, you, could, you could come up with a system of compensating people for certain data, like how many times they go through the toll, which could have value, right? Um, yep. right? Right now, we basically give information like that away for free. Um, but we've seen, you know, we have a, an interesting cohort company right now. It's uh, called Stepen, uh, S-T-E-P-N. Um, they're, they're quite popular in Asia right now, but, you know, they basically provide tokens for, you know, walking or running. You know, if you run a certain amount, um, you, you get tokens. And, and, you know, if you do the Nike Run app, you're giving Nike a bunch of data. You're not getting anything for mm -hmm. it. With Stepen, you're actually, mm -hmm. like, getting something you're you're part of this economy you can buy nft shoes and make them like really cool as your you know, profile icon kind of gamifies your own running um they're 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 gonna start rolling out in the us you know in in the near term but things like that dovetail with your carpool DAO. like the tokens can take on multiple axes of significance and i think that's a very fun frontier well i am definitely looking forward to Alliance accelerating the carpool DAO. And I'm looking forward to going back and listening to this conversation because this was a great episode of the If Then podcast. Dane, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. And uh, you know, definitely send in the app because I'm I'm bullish on the carpool DAO. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh Dane, where can people get in contact with you if they have questions on Alliance or DAOs? Sure. Uh I'm always responsive on Twitter. So, uh, you know, Lund underscore Dane. Um, otherwise, you can get me at Dane at uh, DeFiAlliance.co. Um, and, and, you know, definitely feel free to reach out. Love it. And if you are interested in joining the If Then community or working with the If Then community, a, a community of uh, attorneys, regulatory professionals, policy folks, helping founders and startups uh, navigate complex regulatory environments such as DAOs, um, feel free to reach out to me at david at ifthen.vc. Don't forget to subscribe to the pod. Give us a five-star review. And uh, otherwise, do interesting work that you're interested in. 
Thanks, everyone. 